Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast, where we are training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. We're going through now a series in the Beatitudes. And I like the Beatitudes a lot. So Matthew chapter 5, if you want to take your Bible out and turn to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, um, Jesus is doing something in this Sermon on the Mount. And You know, it's a pretty long sermon, actually. But he's got all of his guys around him. You know that mountain that he likes to go to, the Mount of Olives? It's next to the Garden of Gethsemane, right? So he's there, and he's pulled his guys all around him, and he's teaching them, talking to them directly. But there's also a crowd of people around as well that are listening in. So there's a couple things going on, right? He's speaking to his guys, but he's got all these listeners, so there's different kinds of listeners, right? The Beatitudes, this part of this sermon is about celebrating, and it's all about an invitation as well. He's teaching his guys that this is a celebration of what you, as a Christ follower, inherit. You get this. You have these things. And so then it also becomes then an an invitation to those that don't have it, to have it, okay? When you read through the Beatitudes, though, it it has a way of tricking you if you're not careful, and it's our fault. It's not the word's fault. It's not Jesus' fault, but it tricks you a little bit because we don't spend very much time in God's word, and so you tend to think that these things that he's talking about are things that you gotta work for and things that... um, you have to do, uh, it, you, there's some things you got to do in order to get them, okay? Which is not true. Um, so you have to spend a little bit of time with it. That's why it's a, it's a celebration of what you have and what you inherit when you surrender your life to Jesus. And then it's also an invitation to everybody else listening too that you can have these things. It's an invitation. You can have these things. So you got to think about this. This is brilliant, actually, by Jesus. So he's walking through this. And maybe today, you know, because the lessons apply in the now as much as they did then. Maybe today you walked across the bridge, you know, and uh, you're seeking, you're looking for something. You know, all of us, I, I spend so much time with people. Obviously, my job is all about people and our team, our staff, and um. So I recognize in people that people are restless. People are longing for something. They're searching. Lots of people are searching. Maybe you're here today and you're searching or you're craving something or you're just restless. Your soul's hungry and your heart is thirsty. Lots of people come to church because of those things. Maybe that's you today. You feel an insatiable longing, right? It's just hard to satisfy. Almost everywhere you turn in our culture, people seem to think that the grass is greener someplace else than where they're standing. (laughs) Now, I know in Tucson, you know, that's probably actually true in a literal (laughs) sense, right? There's not a lot of grass, right? But you know what I mean, right? We're just so, we're not very satisfied and content people. And 
I think this is the Spirit of God a lot of times knocking on our hearts. You know, the Holy Spirit of God has a job. He has a job, and it's to convict the world of their sin and where they're far from, from God. But when you surrender your life to Jesus, when you surrender allegiance to Jesus and God installs his spirit in you, then the, it's, it's a, virtually the same job. He still convicts, he still guides, he still gives us direction, right? So a lot of times that pit in your stomach, you know that feeling you get where it's just things aren't lined up, that's the Holy Spirit of God knocking on our hearts. But most of the time, we turn away to short-run, temporary, backfiring pleasures that don't feel that craving. You've heard maybe the illustration about everybody's got this God-sized hole in their life, right? It's made, it's, it, it, it's a hole, and we try to fill up this hole in our lives with anything and everything. So what I think is going to happen today in this Sermon on the Mount, in these 12 verses one in particular in chapter five is that Jesus has something, something to say this morning about the universal experience of restlessness and craving and hunger and thirst. He has something to say about the insatiable hunger of the human heart and about the relentless thirst of our soul. We're all like this. His words are found in Matthew five in verse six is where we're focused today. This beatitude is blessed are those, or blessed, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And could it be that the reason, that the reason that the grass is greener everywhere you look than where you're standing is because we're not devoted to the central purpose of this verse and this message of Jesus to the righteousness part. I think it's probably true. We pursue so many things. I mean, listen, the, the high school students that were up here, look at all, the, did you hear all the things they were pursuing? I mean, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of things that they're involved in, and I know that you're uh, involved in a lot, all those things as well. And there's nothing wrong with those things. We should all be a part of uh, that kind of stuff. It's, it's not bad in and of itself, but when there's no time, no room, no space, no margin, to pursue God and his righteousness, then I think that's when things get out of whack and out of line, right? Have you ever considered how strong the urge is each and every day for food and something to drink? <laughs> it happens, right? It happens day after day, it just keeps happening. Maybe today you can make it your prayer. That's what my hope is that you would hunger and thirst that, that same way to establish righteousness in our souls and in our relationships and in our community and in our world. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's in this, this one short verse of scripture brings us to an incredible message of hope. Not cross your fingers kind of hope, right? You've heard me say that. It's actually true truth, incredible truth, and it's a message that should spark a deep sense, I think, of satisfaction in all of us who are believers, and if you're seeking, if you're looking for answers, you're searching, 
I think it can bring satisfaction as well. But you, the satisfaction is only available through Jesus, only available in Christ. So in one sense, we can all relate to this passage of scripture, in particular this verse, we all hunger. We may not be able to know the depth of our hunger and the people of this time we're going through because there's a group of folks right here, these Galileans that are primarily around Jesus, but we experience a daily hunger that comes back and needs to be satisfied. So about 26, almost 27 years ago, 26 years ago, somewhere in there, I got to take this trip to India. It was an unbelievable trip. So I got to go um, through an organization called uh, Youth for Christ and uh, another pastor, and I spent seven weeks in India. And so India is a radical place. I mean, it is. Some of the most beautiful and luxurious hotels I've ever been in in my life were in India. And I got to stay in, in, in a few of those. And then I got to stay in some of the biggest rat holes <laughs> you have ever, you could ever imagine. In, I mean, it was really bad. One night I woke up, I was waking up and I'm like, what is going on? You know, you get that feeling like something's on you. And I flipped the light on and there were, there, were, there were mice crawling over me, my bed, mice. I mean, that'll give you the boo. So I slept with a light on all night. Every time I turn the light on, just turn the light off, just, you know. Oh, I can still feel it. And some of the most amazing food I ever ate. I mean, just the unbelievable, amazing food. I ate was in India, and some of the worst things you can imagine I ate in India. It's a, it's a country of extremes, it's just extreme wealth and extreme poverty. Everything is extreme, there's no like in the middle, anywhere. It's either really spicy or doesn't taste like anything. I'm probably exaggerating a little bit, but it, it, it was amazing, it was an amazing trip. So I, I spent, they put these pictures up, you know, I, I spoke to students all throughout high schools and middle schools and schools everywhere, just thousands of kids, they would come uh, to hear me speak, and I, I, I don't know, it was, it was like I was a celebrity, it was crazy, because I was going to these remote places, and Youth for Christ just sort of leveraged um, me, and I'm, I was, you know, I, I would drive into this one town, this little village, and there's this giant banner going over the road, it says, World-famous singer Ben Pitney from San Jose, California will speak at the whatever, you know, and I'm just, oh my gosh, who did this? And my picture is like, <laughs> like what? They just like leveraged it, right? So they're shutting down schools and I'm speaking, keep going through, I'm speaking to all these kids like this. Oh yeah, I got to see the Taj Mahal. That's awesome. Yeah. And see, I'm standing out in the middle of this one time, so I was speaking to all these kids. These are like, 11 and 12 year olds, and there's like hundreds of them in this assembly hall. They just shut down school and like, all right, no school today. We're just going to hear Ben, all right? And I have my guitar out and I'm singing and they're just like, oh, you're so, such a celebrity. And I didn't realize afterwards in this, in this village in particular, afterwards they say, so Ben will be outside afterwards and you can all go and touch him. I mean, that's what they said. <laughs> Because I'm the only white guy they've ever seen, all right? So they just want to touch the white guy, the white part. See if it comes off. I mean, kids are like all around me like that. I'm standing out there and I get, 
I, I'm like, what do you, you know, I, I don't understand because they're speaking a different language, you know, and then comes over later and, and they just say, yeah, they just want to touch you. <laughs> I'm just like, okay. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm signing autographs right there. So crazy, right? It's just, it's just extreme. It, it just, I've never seen anybody like me and so... <laughs> Youth for Christ just leveraged it. It was great. It was awesome. And it got to all these places um, that were crazy. I ate with my hands the whole time, right? No utensils kind of stuff most of the time because it was in so many crazy places. Oh, it was awesome, right? Really great. And when I got home, Linda showed up at the airport and she had this gigantic Texas big hair before I left, and then like when I came home, I was like, what happened? You see your ears, right? So I, I just went from one extreme to the other, when I, even when I came home. It was such an awesome trip. So about week eight, I'm making my way home, and, and, and we stop in Singapore, and I'm going to meet another couple of guys with Youth for Christ, and I'm going to tour around and do everything, but I'm like, I am messed up already, all right? You know, at Thanksgiving, I had a donut in a plastic bag on the airplane, all right? And, and you know, I just, it, oh. So in Singapore, I meet these guys, awesome guys. And so I said, I just need to sleep for a little bit because everything's upside down. And um, so about 10.30, they call and say, all right, Ben, you ready to go get something to eat? You know, we're, we're excited to go to lunch with you. And, and uh, you know, what would you like? And meaning, hey, you want some of the local cuisine, right? And I said, guys, you know, I'm feeling a little like, uh, you know, um, what do you think I said I wanted to eat? Yeah, McDonald's. How did you know? How did you know? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because for eight weeks, I've been eating everything that doesn't look like you should eat it most of the time. I mean, it was crazy. It was awesome. Like I said, sometimes it's like, whoa. I'll just take a banana, but <laughs> wow, I just, I, I just wanted McDonald's hamburger, got any of that, and they're like, what, uh, you know, and I said, yeah, and for them, it was like, oh, okay, that's cool, well, let's go, you know, and even McDonald's in Singapore is not like it is here, okay, um, you got to buy the ketchup packets over there, or you did anyway. They're like, they don't give those away free because people are just going to be like tucking them away and, you know, use them for later. So um, I just wanted a McDonald's hamburger, just something that was normal, something from home, something that was familiar. Why? Why? Well, I was tired of eating things that I wasn't used to. I hungered after things I had not had in a while. We all can relate to that hunger. That's why this is such a great illustration by Jesus. It's an awesome illustration. Can we just look at the 12 verses connected and put them in context? So chapter five, let's just read the 12 verses. Matthew chapter five. So when he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain and after he sat down, his disciples came to him and then he began to teach them by saying these things. So here it goes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven for they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. So, this is a message of hope, isn't it? Why is hungering and thirsting such a good illustration? Because as water and food is to the body, so righteousness is to the spiritual life. In our spiritual life, you cannot disconnect it from your physical life. I just don't believe it. We are all shaped with a God-shaped, or we all have a God-shaped hole in our lives. We hunger and thirst not only for food, but satisfaction in life. We truly want to be satisfied, but we're always looking for all kinds of things to do it, right? We, we search in all kinds of different areas to be filled, to be satisfied, but we always end up falling short. It doesn't last. Have you, did you guys play the Safeway Monopoly game? Come on, who played? Yeah, see? And the rest of you are lying because you, you all wish you played, right? Why do we play that? Why do we play? You play it for the same reason I do. I want to win. And I'm going to win the $3 million or the Corvette or whatever it is. We all think we're going to win. Have you ever watched any of those shows where it, they talk to people who win that stuff? It makes them miserable. It doesn't change the, the, the satisfaction part. You just got all kind of problems with it, right? Just more of everything doesn't do, especially just all at once. Right? But somehow we think it's going to be different. That's why we play. I even forced Linda to play. She didn't really want to play. And I'm like, no, we're playing. <laughs> You're helping me. When you go to the store, get the Monopoly tickets. And I'm like, we sit down. I'm like, she's like, I don't want to. And I'm like, no, we're doing it. Because we might win. Because we think it's going to be different if we, if we win. That's what I think anyway. We all got that God-shaped hole in our lives and everybody's hungry and thirsty. We, uh, we, we, we spend money on things that don't satisfy. You ever done that? And we're just like, oh, you buy it and then it's like, oh man, the iPhone 10 is not any better than the iPhone 8. But it's called planned obsolescence and we buy into it every time. Apple made it famous. Planned obsolescence. Right? We try to satisfy ourselves with power, education, sex, pornography, boyfriends, girlfriends, toys, possessions that allow us fun and entertainment for a time, but all these things lead to deeper sense of need, deeper longing for satisfaction. But they don't fill that need. It doesn't work. It doesn't. We fool around with so many things that do not satisfy, things that do not and they cannot and they will not fill that hole, that emptiness in our lives. We all do it. Because we're too, we're far too easily um, entertained. We think so often that the things of this world are going to do it for us. 
The joy that's offered to us, though, that Jesus is talking about here, the peace that's offered to us, the satisfaction that is offered to us by Jesus here is unbelievable if we'd only grab a hold of Jesus and his offer for satisfaction. That's what we're getting to. A great illustration of this story is the prodigal son. Maybe you know it. It's a really famous story, right, in the Old Testament. So that uh, one of the sons, he comes and say, to his dad, to his father, he says, I, I really like my inheritance now. You know, I don't want to wait. I want it before you die. I want it now. I feel like my kids have asked that before. My kids have come home and, 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 and they're looking around our house. This happens at our house and, and they're, they're going, hey, you know, dad, when you pass on, um, they're, they're talking amongst themselves like we're going to get that. I know. They talk about our stuff like that. And Linda and I are going, hey, we're still here. I don't know, they, they, it, it happens, we, we, we think about this, the prodigal son, he just wants it now, so what happens, he's an awesome father, he goes, okay, here you go, what's he do? He just goes crazy with it, all kinds of friends and parties and whatever, and he just spends it like crazy, and he's got all kinds of life around him, but as soon as it runs out, so does all that stuff, right, to the point where he just spirals down and down and down, and then he's eating what the pigs eat. That's how far he's gone. He's starving to death, actually, eating what the pigs eat. Unbelievable story. Luke chapter 15, that's, that's where that story's found. See, Jesus is not talking about just hunger. He's talking about starving after righteousness. Starving after righteousness. Picture the audience Listening to Jesus, they're Galileans. They're not well-liked by the rest of the Jewish community. They were lower-class citizens. They were viewed similarly to the way the Jews looked at the Samaritans. So it's borderline racist almost, okay? Look at the crowd surrounding Jesus. What do you think their view of righteousness was? We just journeyed through the Gospel of Mark. I can guarantee you their view of righteousness was, skew, was a skewed view, a wrong view, due to the, the, uh, the portrayal of righteousness by the religious leaders. They're doing it wrong. They, they were. When you read and study Matthew 5, 6, you, you, you cannot overlook verse 20. Go to verse 20, Matthew 5, verse 20. And you'll see that, the, that there's a connection that Jesus is making. The view these people had of righteousness was an incorrect view. Jesus was correcting the view, giving them truth, teaching them, showing them that, that it was an issue of the heart. See, we think it's in all these other issues, and it's actually going on in their heart. So Matthew 20, 5.20 says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness goes beyond that of the experts in the law and the Pharisees, right? You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. See, those guys are doing it wrong. They're trying to do things in order to be righteous, and that's not how you get it, Jesus is saying. I can see this being the picture of righteousness the audience has, a picture of religious leaders who are outwardly righteous, they're pious, but inwardly they're sinful, corrupt. They look and see, these guys are all looking around and seeing this judgmental attitude of the Pharisees, the hypocritical nature of, of, of men, and they may in some way uh, look on the outside, but uh, they, they, they probably looked fairly good on the outside, but in the inside, we know what it's like, right? They're missing the point 
of doing the things that they are doing. That's why if we were all to open up our heart and let everybody see exactly what it was, we'd all go, <gasps> right? <clears throat> the Pharisees got to be bummed too. They're feeling as though by their actions, they're gaining righteousness and doing right in the eyes of God. But here in this passage, Jesus is saying, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he, you know, this is part of how he's making them angry. Because their hearts are sinful and that hole in their lives that's shaped like God is not being filled by all the things that they're doing. Jesus is presenting to the crowd that he is that true righteousness. He's the one they have been hungering and thirsting after. He's the one. There's only one that's shaped like that hole and the only one that can fill that emptiness, and he's saying he's the good news, the gospel. The gospel has come, it's come in him, and he is presenting himself as the means or the way to satisfaction. That's pretty amazing. That's what our world needs, is they need to know the way to satisfaction. They need to be able to hear that from you. The invitation needs to come from you and I. But we need to look at a few more things. How about this? You know, because Jesus hammers this actually over and over again in Galilee, actually. What about the woman at the well? You know that story? That's John chapter 4. In just two verses, verses 13 and 14, Jesus replies to this woman. He says, everyone who drinks some of this water, because she's there getting water, will be thirsty again. So, you know, this water you're all getting out of there, you know, everybody who drinks of that, you're going to continue to be thirsty but whoever drinks some of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. <laughs> but the water that I give him will, be, uh, will become in him uh, a fountain of, of, of water springing up to eternal life. Yeah, she doesn't get it at first. She's like, you don't even got a bucket, man. But he's, he begins to explain this and she says, well, I, I want some of that. You know, at first she's like, yeah, I'd really like that because I don't like coming to this well all the time. I'm getting tired of this. But she starts realizing what, who he is. You know, when, she, when her eyes are illuminated, you know, eventually she goes and gets all of her friends and neighbors and townspeople and says, hey, you got to come hear this guy. How about uh, feeding the 5,000? You know that scene where Jesus is feeding the 5,000? That's an amazing scene, right? So Jesus tells them in John 6, 26 and 27, he says, I tell you the solemn truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate all the loaves and the bread you wanted. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Do not work for the food that disappears, for the, but for the food that remains to eternal life, food which the Son of Man will give you. And then he says that um, God the Father has put his seal of approval on him. He's saying that it's me. I'm the, I'm the only shape that's going to fill that hole in your life. I'm shaped exactly for it. And it's me. It's me. Jesus Christ is the only one who can satisfy. And here in Matthew, he's presenting this point to the audience that's in front of him. And to some, this message brings refreshment, Right? Others, it's like they're getting all mad and they're turned off because he's offering satisfaction through, through him, the true righteousness. 
Now that's pretty amazing. I'm sure there's religious leaders that are really upset, right, with him. So let's talk about these two groups just for a minute, those who are far from God, because there were people there that were far from God. There are people here today that are far from God. Maybe you, again, walked across the bridge today, somebody invited you, you're looking for something, you're searching, you're seeking, you're restless, you're, you're, um, you're just not satisfied, you're, there's this aching. This truly is a message of hope to those who are lost, who are searching, who are really perishing to those in Jesus' day and in our day. That's, that's who this message is for. The emptiness that fills our lives and their lives can only be satisfied in Christ, the true righteousness. That's the message. Only by hungering and thirsting after Christ can that void, that emptiness be filled so that the things of this world are not gonna satisfy only Jesus. This is it. This is the message. This is the red dot in the middle of the target. So why keep messing around is uh, what I think. Why keep messing around? Look, with the things that will only cause more pain and emptiness, right? An offer of satisfaction, peace, contentment, among all kinds of other things is made to you and to me in Christ. That's the message. It's not fire and brimstone or anything, right? It's satisfaction. You want that satisfaction? You want that, fill that emptiness? It's in Jesus, Christ alone. To the believer, the person that has Christ, that's, that's sworn allegiance to the king, to Jesus, you know, Jesus keeps talking about the kingdom, king, and then his domain. He wants allegiance to the king, but he's also concerned about the domain. He wants to take new ground, and he wants more territory, because there's more people in that territory. So it's, it's a message to believers, okay? You have to connect with this. It's an important message to us. The first question is simple. In your life right now, what are you hungering and thirsting after? Because you can still be hungering and thirsting after all the wrong things. Where's your heart? What's in your heart? What's going on in your heart? It's easy for believers to see that we're filled and satisfied when we accept the free gift of salvation. Yeah, I get it, I get it. But too often, that's where the hunger and thirst stops. And then we struggle with big areas of sin that we try to fill that hole with. We still try to do it. We get in these bad habits and, and we, we do not practice or act like or live like we are transformed and changed. We just go back and do other things and we struggle with sex, drugs, and rock and roll or pornography or money or relationship or, you know, we try to fill this hole with all kinds of stuff. I meet with people all the time that are suffering from some dysfunction they're, because they're not hungering and thirsting after righteousness only to end up, you know, going, I, I don't understand. Some of us sit week after week in these chairs longing for satisfaction. Do we as believers hunger and thirst after righteousness? Now, so hungering and thirsting is continual. You notice that, right? It's continual, it happens, you, and you, you have to feed it. Every day I get hungry around 11 o'clock, you can actually hear it. I feel like I'm gonna digest myself sometimes. I'm just like. It's a daily pattern we go through, each one of us, because our bodies need food. It's the same thing with thirst, I get thirsty. 
And I don't like it when I don't have coffee. <laughs> It's the same with the spiritual realm of life. We need to hunger and thirst, actually starve for righteousness in our lives. It's a day by day thing that is continual, a continual part of our lives, like going to a nice restaurant, eating a big fat steak and a baked potato. I could do that the next night again. I could. Right? Once you get a taste of it and a hunger for it, that hunger for righteousness grows. It grows. It does. And we should want to keep feeding that desire to satisfy our lives with righteousness. We are called to holy living as believers. We're called to live lives of holiness to our God, which is a sweet smelling aroma to Him. He's built it in us, and so we do have some responsibility that we need to take. So, Matthew 5 6, it's a really powerful passage, a passage that exudes hope all throughout it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We're blessed if we hunger and thirst after righteousness. How? How, Pastor Ben? Because we are filled, we don't hunger any longer as the world hungers because our satisfaction has been met in Christ Jesus. We don't hunger any longer as the world hungers. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness has both an evangelistic message to it or in it for those who do not know Jesus, as well as the message who are in Christ. And I conclude with the same simple question What are you hungering and thirsting after in your life? And I pray that all of us can answer righteousness because it's amazing how sensitive you get to unrighteousness when you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness and you begin to tell people how their lives can be satisfied and content and how that hole can be filled. It's amazing how motivating. And satisfying it is because you're fulfilling who you are supposed to be as a Christ follower when you see others then come to Christ and be satisfied. I mean, you can't possibly look at the baptistry when people are telling their stories or listen, when people are telling their stories of their life and how they've been transformed and changed and satisfied and, the, and how peace has、uh, come between them and God and then they're dunked and they're. Pull back up. It's an emotional experience. It's motivating to me. And it, 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 it compels me to tell others. And, and, and I, I hope it's compelling you. It, it has to. So we have to ask how this desire is developed. How is it developed? Most Christ followers are for righteousness. So what does this have to do with me? I'm for righteousness. How does this desire become so intense? It also has to come from the development of spiritual life. And so you cannot separate God's word. We must practice it. We have to practice. It does take commitment, it begins with commitment to God's will. It has to come from the development of spiritual life. I was telling someone this, even this week. You know, everybody wants to know what God's will is because we're looking for the answers. What is the will of God? What is the heart of God? What does He want me to do? It's actually really simple. God's will is really wide, really deep, really, it's really huge, actually. He gives us tons of freedom. It's just, it's just this good, logical, rational decisions based on the facts. And we got to make decisions big and small every single day, one right after the next. You're going to walk out the door and you got to make some decisions. Good, 
logical, rational decisions based on the facts. That's God's will. What are the facts? Right here. It's all here. All the truth is here. All the hope is here. The facts are here. This, is your, this should develop your worldview and your, should be your lens, your filter, all these things, your encouragement, your motivation. The answers are all here. Make good, logical, rational decisions based on the facts, not bad, illogical, irrational decisions based on just what I think. You see how that's not God's will? <laughs> that's not God's heart? When you do that, oh my gosh, you develop a spiritual life and you develop a spiritual hunger and thirst. It's like a self-winding watch. It's just motivating. As your spiritual walk is guided by the Holy Spirit, he leads the believer into righteousness. You start doing the right things and living the right way. And the closer you live to the Lord, the more sensitive you become to unrighteousness and the more you're going to go, I don't need that. I'm not doing that. Why, why would I be a part of that? You recognize injustice in the world. You become compassionate. The truly spiritual person then will begin to crave righteousness, which is what God wants all along. You crave it. And pretty soon when Pastor Ben says, hey, I want you to start praying for students. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to do that. Why? Because these kids are making decisions in their lives and I'm going to pray for them for 21 days because that's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a pretty formidable time in their life. They're going to get to hear about Christ. They, they, you know, they get to turn their cell phone off and all these things. And so, I mean, it's really motivating. Take one of these. It's a part of it. It'll motivate you. Just praying for somebody else, making it not about you. Bow your head with me just for a moment. Thank you, Lord, for today. It's such an awesome weekend. I pray that, God, it would be more than a barbecue and a day off. Thank you for those that made the ultimate sacrifice for us. Just reminds me of, Lord, how you made the ultimate sacrifice by giving your son to us. Thank you, God, that this is a celebration and an invitation at the same time, that we can have that relentless craving filled in our life by your son, Jesus. Let's embrace that, know that, and then practice it. And to hand that invitation out like it's candy. That's the kind of people we want to be, we need to be. Lord God, thank you that we can be satisfied because you gave us your son, Jesus, and made a way for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great weekend, you guys.